0: Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonnell. This week, WBEZ is participating in Covering Climate Now. It's a global collaboration of over 250 news outlets looking to strengthen coverage of the climate crisis. We're running all-week climate coverage before the United Nations Climate Action Summit begins in New York on September 23rd. Tomorrow, we'll cover the global climate strike and broadcast live from Federal Plaza. Right now, let's talk about green job creation and building equity here in Illinois. A Republican House study committee in Washington, D.C. calls the Green New Deal a thinly-veiled attempt to usher in policies that create a socialist society in America. But states like Illinois are already implementing the kind of job creation ideas the Green New Deal advocates. With me is Anne McKibben. She's Policy Director of Elevate Energy. Great to meet you.
1: Hi. Great to meet you, too.
0: Cindy Stewart is here. She's Executive Director of Sustainable Options for Urban Living, or SOL. Great to meet you, Cindy. Thank you. And Nigel Mosley is here. He is a solar training grad now with Blacks in Green. Nice to meet you, Nigel. Nice to meet you, also. Um. And can you kind of set the table for us here? Um, a couple of years ago, there was some legislation passed in Illinois, and it was really a large-scale conversation and debate among many stakeholders. And they came together and worked something out called the Future Energy Jobs Act. And uh, can you describe that thing to us?
1: Sure, sure. The Future Energy Jobs Act was the most comprehensive um, climate bill, essentially, in the U.S. in 2016, and we passed it right here in Illinois. Um, it was uh, a lot of the the pieces of it were related to clean energy, energy efficiency. Um, There was also a piece related to the nuclear plants, because in Illinois, we tend to pass bipartisan compromise legislation, and that's what the Future Energy Jobs Act was. But uh, the, the, the biggest piece of it, though, was related to renewable energy and energy efficiency and workforce development. And that was really put forward by A really broad coalition of environmental advocates, consumer advocates, folks from the public health community, um, faith-based organizations, and businesses in those clean energy industries. Um, So among other things, it expanded our electric energy efficiency programs in the state. It uh, fixed what we call our renewable portfolio standards so we could get more renewable energy, and it really jump-started the Illinois solar industry. Um, and as, you know, we realized we were going to jumpstart this industry, we're going to need workers for it. And it was just a great opportunity to put in place some workforce development programs, some workforce training programs, and make sure that, uh, that we could get those jobs to the people who need them most.
0: And um, with us is Cindy Stewart who I mentioned was the is the executive director for Sustainable Options for Urban Living and you've been involved in some of the job training and uh, explain what happens Fiji um, puts money out there to do job training and they give some to you and they and you train people.
2: Well yes, kind of sorta, of, but not exactly that way. But Fiji did put money in the hands of uh, community organizations uh to do job training. And one of the wonderful things about Fiji is it recognized that there was this opportunity to, to, to tackle environmental justice, uh, to tackle some of the racial injustice, uh, and other inequalities that exist across uh, our station and, uh, state and the nation in general. So what we've done in the last two years is to go out and recruit from some of our low-income neighborhoods, our our black and brown communities here in the Chicagoland area, and our low-income neighborhoods in southern Illinois as well. And to reach out to people who are unemployed or underemployed, who are in these communities that have been impacted by this environmental uh, injustice and who actually, quite frankly, will be hit the hardest uh, with the the rising cost of utilities and, and said, Here's an opportunity for us to provide them training. And so, in the Chicago area, for example, through our small organization in the last two years, we've graduated 50 new solar installers. Uh, there are other programs that add to that number. And so, we're starting to build that, and we
0: still have two more years to go in this program. So, we're excited. That's terrific. Can you t- tell us more about your organization that is doing this? Uh, because I, I I don't know how you can just kind of get up to speed to do this kind of thing. <laughs> well, Sustainable Options for Urban Living
2: uh, is a non-for-profit organization. We're, we're a community-based organization. And our focus has always been how do we uh, improve the quality of life in our communities. And one of those areas uh, has to do with utilities and has to do with energy, because unfortunately, poor people in general spend more of their income on utilities than some of the rest of us, and it's a burden for them. And at the same time, when I was growing up, they used to say we were uh, the, the the last hired and the first fired. But the reality is, in Illinois, for example, over half of um, uh, Illinois leads the nation. Let's put it that way in unemployment for African Americans and our youth. And we've had other issues with overcriminalization and incarceration, et cetera. So FEJA has looked at individuals who were previously incarcerated. FEJA says those that are alumni from foster care. Uh, in other words, these disadvantaged populations in, in our community, let's make sure that they get a chance to take advantage of these opportunities and put them to work. And that's what we're doing.
0: That's terrific. And uh, Nigel Mosley is here. He is a Fiji solar training grad. He's now with Blacks and Greens, as I mentioned. Great to meet you. Nice to meet you also. Uh, tell us more about yourself. You were telling me you were a DJ before and, and our, uh, yes. an experience to the microphone. And also
3: I worked as a site surveyor for Vivint Solar out in Hawaii from 2012 to 2013. Ah, great. So that was one of the main reasons why I came back home to Chicago to get involved in the movement and getting Chicago and the state of Illinois in a green economy. And anybody um, who
0: hasn't been to uh, Hawaii lately um, doesn't know what's going on because they have solar panels all over everything. Yeah. I mean, their energy prices are really high in Hawaii and and they are very far advanced.
3: Yes. Um, I've been working with Blacks and Greens since 2019 for over six months now. Um, And a big part of what we're doing is a core team launching in the green living room on Cottage Grove 6431 in Woodlawn. We're building green jobs workforce in a small business meeting workspace area. On October 1st, we're opening a solar sun run partnership and event where we're recruiting um, minorities that are not usually used in these instances so
0: what's the training like when you go through solar training
3: well you you get hands-on training you get a chance to work with the solar panels install and learn about parallel and series style of installing you also get a chance to um, get book knowledge on not just solar but construction and how to permit these processes how to put yourself not just as a job candidate but also as a vendor to be a business and establish yourself
0: all right so and and so it, it, can you describe some of the people who were in the training program with you what were what were they looking for
3: um some were looking for jobs some were looking for an opportunity to not just have a job but to to build their own business in a partnership with companies like sunrun a partnership with other com- um, communities and companies in our community.
0: Uh, were they excited about the solar field? Is this something that uh, is, can legitimately generate excitement?
3: Yes, yes, people are getting excited about it, and I think the more people get informed about it and understand about how to get through the process and how to apply for solar and how they can also get it for free, and that's how the Illinois Solar for All program was set up to make sure that people in environmentally unjust communities get serviced with these type of projects.
0: Uh, What do you... Is this um, component of Fiji? I mean, it hasn't been that much talked about. I'm doing this segment in part because... People don't know that this kind of thing, which is causing so much controversy in the headlines, you know, when people talk about it in the Green New Deal. I mean, we're already doing it, and people are already getting excited. It shows promise. Uh, Cindy?
2: Well— It was interesting. I was looking at uh, some coverage this past week, actually, that talked about what the uber-rich are doing to get ready for climate change. And so they're building these million-dollar, multi-million-dollar bunkers that are just extravagant, gorgeous places that they can retire to if things go bad up here on the planet. But for most of us, we don't have those kinds of resources. So it stands to reason that the folks who have continued to profit off of the fossil fuel industry may not necessarily be excited about a future that does not necessarily include them at the top of the food chain, but instead brings some equity to those populations that have left, been left behind. So it's new in this process. We've done two cohorts. Nigel was one of those cohorts here in Chicago. We've done training down in southern Illinois as well, and some other programs here in the Chicagoland area are starting to take root. So it is quiet, but it's happening in communities that are often overlooked and ignored in general. So you may not hear it in the major news media just yet, but it is making an impact. And it's important to know that for people who are actually looking for an opportunity, a hand up, a job up, uh, a place to make some money and take care of their family, this is exciting stuff.
0: And people can go to your website at Sustainable Options for Urban Living, and you can people can say, hey, absolutely, write, our web, a form right there. Our website is soul-s-o-u-l-program
2: org. They can go to our website. That's soul-s-o-u-l-program They can get additional information about the work that we're doing. They can also sign up for uh, because we are starting to recruit for the January uh, cohort that will happen here in Chicago so they can get information and sign up there. We'll stay in touch with them. They can donate because we're going to be opening a new center out in Dalton soon, and we're going to do some more training in that space as well. So we're excited to to be a part of
0: this effort. And w- one of the exciting things that will happen in the future here is there is more legislation like this pending in Springfield. And and I wanted to get, an, you know, and you can kind of land us on what's happening in Springfield because there are like five competing energy bills right now in, in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it looks like, uh, like with FIJA, there's going to be some kind of conglomeration coming together thing where everybody gets something of what they want. Um, there, Tell us about the legislation
1: Yeah, well, we sure hope so. Um, you know it's it's kind of heartening in these political times that in Illinois folks on opposite sides of the table still talk to each other so that's that's a good sign um, but so we are hopeful that all these competing interests will have enough in common or enough mutual interest to be able to hammer something out that's really that's really good. Um, certainly the Clean Energy Jobs Act is um, one of the leading of those five proposals um, and it was put together by that same sort of multifaceted coalition I talked about before, the environmental folks but also consumer public health folks um, faith groups and businesses and um, so that bill, it really builds on FEJA. It takes a lot of what we've learned from starting to implement these programs and puts it, you know, Sort of codifies it, um, and
0: uh, yeah. Does, so it m- does it end up ramping up the programs? Do, do we get more money for more programs?
1: Definitely, it does. Um, and there are places where Illinois can save to find that money to put. You know, we just move money from one place to another instead of having to come up with a lot of new money, um, which of course is helpful. Um, but the goal is to put, of CJ is to put the state on a path to 100% renewables by 2050, which is what the climate scientists tell us that we'll need to do. Um, but in doing so, there's lots of different ways we could do that. And so um, we want to do it in a way that creates more jobs and that really focuses on economic development and reducing people's energy bills. So the Clean Energy Jobs Act focuses on um, things like Let's state. It's got uh, big improvements to our gas energy efficiency programs. Um, it focuses on something really wonky called the capacity market, but <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to save a lot of money in Illinois. Um, and then uh, as well as the gas programs, I mean, could save us just hundreds of millions of dollars every year. And then it also adds a lot of uh, resources to things like workforce development as it continues to ramp up the renewables industry.
0: Is there a role for a human being listening to this program to support the Clean Energy Jobs Act? Because it sounds uh, so complicated at times. And, you know, we we were discussing before the show, how much do we get into capacity market pricing? Because it's so complicated. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the most important things that people could do um, just to support clean energy policy generally. If you've had any good experience with energy efficiency or renewables, write your legislator and let them know about it. You know, if you support these things, just drop a postcard in the mail to the legislators. Uh, state legislators are particularly important in this in this case because they're the ones who will be um, looking through these energy bills. And that's where a lot of our um, a lot of our energy policy is made. So find out who your state legislator is and just drop them a note and tell them what you think. If you've got positive experiences with efficiency or renewables, please just let them know, and that'll be a big help.
0: And uh, Cindy, do you want to uh, say yeah, I things? was
2: thinking for the average person, just getting involved mm-hmm. and having your home or your business uh, assessed for energy efficiency or for renewable energy, because if you bring it to your place of business or you bring it to your home, we'll have more people working, more businesses doing this, and it's the investment. And understanding that if you look at your ComEd bill, you're paying for it already. So this is a way for you to get back what you're already putting into it.
0: Uh, Is there something – I mean, it sounds like the solar industry has really benefited from the Future Energy Jobs Act. And uh, we were behind in solar, basically, in Illinois – Um, And now we're going to um, get where with the Clean Energy Jobs Act? I mean, some people might be asking, well, we did this before. We're doing a good job now. How much more do we need?
1: Yeah, we need a lot more. Um, And, you know, what we need is consistent, stable policy over time and consistent, stable funding over time to grow an industry um, that needs to be many times larger than it currently is. We've got a jump start, and it was a great start, but there's just much more we can do to create jobs and to save us money. You know, solar right now it's uh, it's cheaper than grid power, so it's low cost solar now, which is you know fantastic.
0: Um, if people want more information, is there things on the Elevate Energy website that people yeah. should know about?
1: Yeah, it's ElevateEnergy.org. And um, we've got a lot of information about, uh, you know, energy efficiency programs on our website, as well as solar programs and workforce development programs. Please, um, yeah, take a look. Uh, and I think we describe, um, yeah, we describe those programs. And if you're an apartment building owner, we probably have places where you could sign up to get more information.
0: Anne McKibben is policy director at Elevate Energy. Cindy Stewart is executive director for Sustainable Options for Urban Living Incorporated, or SOL, and Nigel Mosley is a FIJA solar training grad. He's now with Blacks and Greens. And um, what's your ultimate goal in in your, your, your strategy?
3: Um, my ultimate goal is to see Illinois and Chicago as a pioneer in green energy and changing not just our energy sector, but our communities, um, such as the Clean Energy Jobs Act, how it's working to reduce transportation emissions and reducing the cost to people and electrifying transportation emissions.
0: Well, keep up the great work, Nigel Mosley, Fiji Solar Training Grad, now with Blacks and Greens. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Coming up after the break, uh, we're going to be talking with our global activism segment where we feature people who make the world a better place. And we'll hear about a school in South Africa called Leap Science and Math Schools. Also, our coverage of green job creation in Illinois is part of Covering Climate Now. It's an effort ongoing at more than 250 media outlets, as is tomorrow's coverage of trees. Chicago has a lot of trees, but it's losing some to disease and stress. And rebuilding our urban forest needs governments and businesses and everyday residents to get involved. Listen for that story tomorrow morning on Morning Edition as WBEZ's Week of Climate Coverage continues. We'll be back with the global activism segment after the break. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. It's time for our global activism segment where we feature people who make the world a better place. Today we're going to talk about an organization that we've spoken about maybe even a dozen years ago on this program. It's called Leap Science and Math School, and it's in South Africa, and it's an innovative way to get uh, young people in South Africa ahead and get them a great education in math and science. And we have a lot of people here uh several people here with us uh to, who are supporters of leap science and math school and we're going to talk about the organization now and uh thank you all for coming you're welcome um i who, can somebody explain exactly what happened with the founding of leap science and math school um Certainly.
4: Pam? Um, yeah, I would, I would be and happy I, to I, do that. And
0: Pam, you are a District 86 uh, Assistant Superintendent?
4: Yes, recently retired, but I've been involved when I was uh, a Dean of Students and an Assistant Principal at Hinsdale Central, and we became involved in LEAP, and our student will talk to you about that in a few minutes about how that happened. But I've known John Gilmore about the same amount of time you have 12 years. And
0: John Gilmore is the founder. And he of is the, the founder
4: and executive director of um, LEAP Math, Science and Math Schools. Um, he describes it as doing big work in fragile spaces through self, self-liberating education. So he spent, um, it's been 25 years since um, the, the um, downfall of apartheid, but there still is educational apartheid in South Africa. And unfortunately, of eighth graders who begin into the high school, their high school begins in eighth grade and ends in 12th. Uh, only 14% of students in South Africa end up going to post-secondary education. So they're pretty appalling um, statistics. And, of course, the students in the impoverished uh, townships are the ones that are um, really not getting access to the quality education. And John, as a school uh, teacher and eventually principal at a more... I would say, a fluent white school in Cape Town, South Africa, just couldn't square that with his um, moral and ethical beliefs. And he set out to make a difference in it and tried many things and found that nothing was moving the needle in getting these kids to um, succeed the way he wanted. So he actually took um, a sabbatical for a year in 2003, and his study showed that he really has to um, build a school in a community with the community so that the students from that community um, understand the idea that um, they are a part of that community, can give back, and um, then he built the the LEAP schools. And when you talked to him, I believe there was only one, but now there yeah, are six. Yeah, I,
0: I, I was looking on the website. I was very impressed. Yes. And one of the teachers from LEAPS is here.
4: Yes, Neo is joining us. He actually is part of a teacher exchange. So John has really um, diversified what he's doing besides being able to replicate the success of these schools across several um, of the provinces in South Africa with a goal of getting them everywhere. Um, he is, he's really Spread out, and he has tried to build teacher exchange. He has built teacher exchange programs. The year you spoke to him, he started a collaboration with Teach with Africa from San Francisco. He started with the Caston Family Foundation um, a teacher exchange in 2016. And I was um, the first group of teachers from the Hinsdale area and District uh, 86 to travel uh, over to South Africa and see the, the LEAP schools and learn about the culture and be a part of a Another uh, initiative that he helped to fund which and start which is a um uh, conference the access global conference in Johannesburg and we presented and um, we have a teacher here also representing actually a, a middle school principal who went with the last group we sent three groups of teachers across the the uh, oceans to South wow. Africa and we and uh, Nao was their first group he's going to speak to you in a little bit he was our first group he came um, in 2016 and but he's back this year
0: let's hear from Nao. nice nice to meet you Nao and I, I'm not saying your last name because I can't pronounce <laughs> what, what,
5: what is it? Okay. Um, morning, everyone. My, my name is Neo, and then my last name is Khao Palangwe, so it's Tswana. That's great. Uh, how did you get involved with the LEAP schools? What what happened with you? Uh, my journey is quite uh, interesting because I did not matriculate with the school. I attended school in one of the public schools in South Africa. So what had happened was I used to work actually for LEAP as a general worker. So basically I was cleaning there. And then I was introduced to this program called the GTI, standing for Global Teachers Institute. That's when I joined and started studying for my teaching degree. Um, I joined LEAP around 2014, uh, but I just worked there for like six months and then I joined, uh, started studying through UNISA, University of South Africa. My journey actually with LEAP has been so amazing because I was not exposed to a lot of things, being that, uh, being from a public school, um, it was the same thing over and over. We were taught by the same teachers, the same methods, and the same ideas each and every day. So being at LIB actually was some, some sort of an eye-opener because leap as a whole, it cares for um, their children, the way they do things. And one important aspect that is unique is is our life orientation space. Our life orientation space, that's where we talk about now social things, our emotions. And that's one thing that I've never had growing up. So I've decided actually to, because I recently graduated, or recently completed my studies, I've decided to stay with the program, and personally it has changed me. The person sitting here in front of you today is different because of that specific organization. And I can easily say that I'm actually a living testament of what actually Leap wants to achieve.
0: The, you're talking about an emotional package and a, a total person package. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, surprisingly, it it adds up in results. Uh, the the students are doing better from leap schools than they are in the general schools by a considerable margin.
5: Yes, it's um, it's it's it, it's even safe to say that most of our kids, ninety five percent of them, they actually even go to university, of which is something that does not happen in the other schools. Uh, you, now, how does and so you think the key to the
0: success is kind of the larger person component, or uh, how do you, the, the
5: is there a is there a scholastic
0: component that you're proud of?
5: Yes, um, like I said, our, our space. When, when when one, for example, in, in our public schools, what they focus on it's only the academics, but in in our leap schools, they focus on the well being the child holistically. And you might find that some of these kids, they go through different challenges at home in terms of how they are raised, maybe they are being abused, or there's just not that support that they are getting at home. But when they come to our school, now they are made aware of actually how does it feel like to be loved by someone else. It's not about you achieving, getting 90%, but it's about the child's well-being. So now our kids, most of them, they are so aware of what is happening around them. They even make good choices when it comes to what is it they want to do next. It's so easy that for, it's so easy for our kids to even confront uh, what we are going through or what is happening in South Africa at a very young age, as compared to what how it was back then.
0: Well, uh, that's a great story, and I'm glad you're here. And uh, you must have had a good time on the teacher exchange. What's uh, what happened with that?
5: Yes, I'm I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Um, the first time, like like Pam had said, uh, I was here in 2016, and I was so overwhelmed by the experience and. One thing that I've taken and I'm still taking is, or I'm still, um, trying to digest is, America actually teaches everyone, and I did not understand that up until I had I went to this other workshop at uh, the College of DuPage. So, um, kids with difficulties in terms of learning they are all being taught, whereas in my country it's it's a different situation. So that's one thing that I take home, and hopefully we'll have uh, those special needs um, institutions where kids would actually be attended to. I know in Hillsdale South, where Pam was um, the superintendent mm-hmm. for District 86, there's this program, it's, it's the Hooven, if I'm correct, me if I'm not. Haven. Haven, mm-hmm. right? So we, we saw that two weeks back, and it was so amazing to interact with those kids, and I actually um, was touched emotionally.
4: These are oh, yeah. students, yeah, who would would have been outplaced um, for um, significant emotional impairments, which were uh, interfering with their access to education. And we brought them all back in, and we do a lot of st- a lot of the same things that we've learned through Leap with the uh, um, really taking care of their social emotional needs.
0: Olivia Ostrowski is here, and she is a Leap Club member at Hinsdale Central uh, High School, and you've been. Uh, involved with LEAP for a while now. Tell us about your effort to help LEAP out.
6: Yes hi thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm a junior in high school so I'm in 11th grade and I've been involved with the LEAP club since my freshman year Um, and I was actually introduced to the club by my brothers. That's the great thing about our club is that so many of our current members are actually legacies so that just shows like the continuing outreach and kind of involvement of people past um, through their families and ever since you know kind of being involved and seeing what this club is, I've just become so intrigued and so I've just really fallen in love with this club because of the members of it. Um, you know, our community, it's just so amazing because I just really fell in love with like the compassion, the determination and just the raw passion of these students to want to help kids across the ocean, which even though it might seem like they're so far away, it's just I traveled to South Africa last year actually and making that trip it really seemed that ocean, like that vast difference, it really didn't seem as large when we traveled there.
0: Uh, Is there a memorable experience you'd want to share with people about your trip?
6: I mean, I think the entire trip was just such a memorable experience. It was definitely an extremely sobering experience. Um, You know, growing up um, in the Chicago suburbs, it's definitely very different, the disparities between our community and the ones we traveled to in South Africa. Um, But one experience that definitely really just just is an exclamation point to me, was when we traveled to a township named Dip Slote, um and we visited a LEAP school there. And then we were kind of walking around the township with them um, and talking to the students at these LEAP schools about, you know, what are their everyday life experiences like and what is their school like. And they were saying that at the public schools what would happen is that her – I was talking to a student, and her brother actually said that um, – at a public school, he witnesses knife fights and he witnesses just wow. these extreme acts of violence and um, rape and these horrible experiences. And so that just really stood out to me and just told me that I really need to help what's going on here and fund these LEAP schools to kind of help these kids become leaders in their community and turn life around for them.
0: And if people want to get more information about the LEAP schools, uh, where do they do it, Pam? How do people help fund the schools like, uh, like um, Olivia has?
4: Well, yeah, the kids have raised uh, tens of thousands of dollars over the years since they started. Um, you can go to um, the LEAP Science and Math Schools uh, online. Um, I'm looking for the, it's uh, www.leapschool.org. www.leapschool.org. And you will get information there about the history, um, how you can support it. And um, we would love to have you um, join us in this mission to help these kids.
0: Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. WBEZ this week takes part in a global initiative called uh, Covering Climate Now, focusing on climate change issues. And one way to reduce your carbon footprint is to grow your food locally. Early, so earlier, Worldview contributor Monica Ang talked to a gardener who grows food for the community in Woodlawn on the south side. The food goes to a local grade school, senior home, and housing project, and he grows it all without pesticides. His name is Brendan Fox, and when he's not tending the garden. He runs his organic landscaping business called Happy Bee Garden Service. Take it away, Monica.
7: Thanks, Jerome, for the introduction. But also, thanks for inspiring me all these years to travel by bike. I almost never rode my bike till you started pestering me about it at WBZ. Anyway, that's how I got from my north side home to go interview Brendan Fox on the south side. I had a gorgeous trip along the lake, and then I stopped at 61st Street Farmer's Market. There I saw the former Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, buying vegetables. Then I pedaled to the nearby Jackson Park Terrace Garden. It's there that I met up with Brendan Fox. He was working in the hoop house, which next to it has an unsheltered garden plot, and then on the other side, a bed of native plants that are filled with stuff like milkweed that, of course, is friendly for butterflies. Anyway, here's what we talked about.
8: So we're just south of the Midway on Stony Island at Jackson Park Terrace, where Experimental Station and Jackson Park Terrace run a program together uh, right here on the property.
7: You've got you know, beautiful lasagna kale, some peppers, some strawberries, amaranth, and tomatoes. What, what happens to all this stuff?
8: So everything grown here goes to the people of Jackson Park Terrace and to the students at Carnegie Elementary, because we also have a... Uh, food education program that we do with them.
7: Wow, and so they learn to, um, they learn to cook with it?
8: Absolutely, they learn to cook with it. We, uh, we do have cooking classes here uh, with the children. We talk about plant growth cycle and where their food comes from, lo- local food systems, and food nutrition.
7: And how has the produce been received?
8: Wonderful. Every weekend we do a harvest and load up a table full of vegetables sometimes we load it up a couple times and the residents come right down and fill up their bags and uh, go away with a smiling face
7: Now, yeah, full disclosure the last time we talked it was springish or early summer and my audio file got corrupted but I'm so glad that I came back to do a second interview because you've got so much else going on now that it's September and harvest season tell me about this year's uh this year's plantings and harvests
8: Yes, so uh, things have really grown up since the last time you were here. It's really starting to look like a bit of a jungle in here. And our warm season crops are starting to come in uh, like crazy. We're filling up the table uh, with tomatoes and peppers and eggplant every weekend now. And we are also let a few uh, weeds grow in here. And things like like wood sorrel and lambs quarters and... Working with the people, explaining what what these edible wild plants are and how nutritious they are uh, is really wonderful. So we have uh, all kinds of uh, edible plants and even uh, some mushroom mycelium uh, uh, in the soil here. And we hope that we produce some mushrooms as well. So a lot going on in here.
7: Yeah, I really want to talk about that. I'm going to take pictures of these and then put them on our website and our social media pages so that if you see these in areas where they're clean, you know you could forage for them. So what I'm seeing here is what we Puerto Ricans call berdolaga that you see growing sometimes in cracks on the sidewalk. Can you tell me about it and what you do with it?
8: Sure, I call it purslane. I think it's a really... Purslane, that's the other word. (laughs) Purslane, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it actually has more omega-3s than any other plant on the planet. You can eat all parts of the stem, the leaf, the seeds are very nutritious as well. It's actually more nutritious if you harvest it in the morning as well, and there's a word for that that I I can't think of at the moment. But, um, yes, it's wonderful in a stir-fry. It's always the last thing I throw in a stir-fry. It doesn't need too much time to to just kind of soften it up, and it's delicious. You can eat it raw in a salad as well.
7: Now, I know you're a forager. If someone sees that growing in the cracks of their sidewalk, what are the precautions?
8: Yeah, so I'm I'm a pretty cautious forager. Uh, there are a lot of areas of Chicago that I uh, won't forage because there's all kinds of things in the soil from industry or lead paint in houses. Um, and you also have homeowners who will sometimes spray uh, herbicides. So that's all things you want to consider. I, I personally only forage from from soils that I trust, that I know were brought in from somewhere else, like a landscape supply company or something like that. Um, I wouldn't personally forage in any city soils.
7: Okay, so I, will, I won't I will be pulling it out of the <laughs> sidewalk. I mean, I've never seen anyone grow it. That's great, and it grows pretty easily?
8: It does, and it reseeds itself. I actually kind of use it as a ground cover. All right. It grows all over the place. All of the things like... Um, uh, purslane, lamb's quarters, they all reseed themselves, and I just kind of let them do their things, and when they get a little too weedy, I will pull them up.
7: It's September, so it's probably too late for someone to put that in a in a pot this year.
8: Probably a little bit too late. Um, you might get a couple little sprouts and have some little microgreens to eat by the end of the year. Wouldn't be a terrible idea. <laughs> okay, Guard- but- gardening is always an experiment, so I say if you have an idea, go ahead and try it. The worst thing they- that can happen is it doesn't quite pan out.
7: Okay, but next spring I'm definitely going to grow this because I love it. I, I love it just with olive oil and lemon and salt, but now I'm going to have to try it in a stir-fry, and I did not know that about the omega-3s. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's look at the lamb's quarters. And So it uh, looks like...
8: Uh, well, one of the names for it is actually goosefoot, and it does kind of resemble a goosefoot. There are a couple of different kinds here in the Chicago area. Some, some uh, have like a narrow narrower leaf, and others have a bit wider leaf. And uh, one thing I really like to tell people about this plant is it's actually the wild cousin of the plant that quinoa comes from.
7: Oh. And so would it make seeds that, that were edible?
8: Absolutely. I actually harvest seeds from lamb's quarters every fall and I like to grind it up and add it to pancake batter, anything uh, that you might use flour for.
7: Fantastic. And they've got these kind of uh, spindly pumpkin orange flowers.
8: Oh, actually, the orange flowers are calendula, so there's two two plants here. And uh, calendula is also a really wonderful flower as well. It's a medicinal flower. Uh, They used it uh, historically for wound dressing. You can also eat it for its anti-inflammation properties. Just eat the leaves? You can eat the leaves or the flower themselves. Uh, The flowers actually uh, you can add to rice, and it, it gives rice a nice little uh, orange or red flare It's really nice.
7: Like a saffron type thing. You know, I just got this bad uh, blister that peeled off while I was riding my bike here. Maybe I'll put some calendula on that before I go and report back on how it works. You're listening to Worldview on WBAZ and I'm talking to Brendan Fox. He's the chief gardener for Experimental Station in Woodlawn on the south side. And he also tends the Jackson Park Terrace Garden which grows food for a nearby senior facility, Jackson Park Terrace Low-Income Housing, and the Carnegie Elementary School. We're talking about this garden, foraging, mushroom spores, and how to keep cabbage loopers off your brassicas. So, okay, this is sorrel? This is sorrel,
8: yes. This is um, one of the most popular plants with the uh, children of Carnegie Elementary. They love the, uh, the lemony flavor of the sorrel here. Sometimes they actually, they call them sorrel tacos, and they just wrap up some strawberries and, and eat it like a taco. It's really cute. Look at this little jumping spider here. Oh,
7: one. man, is that the one we're hearing? No, jumping worms are the ones we're hearing about. Right,
8: yeah. No, this guy's uh, definitely more welcome than a jumping wor- worm in my garden. And uh, they can actually see how it's kind of following my finger with its eyes. These yeah. are uh, really interesting spiders that uh, are kind of fun to interact with. And look at its blue fangs. I just love it.
7: Wow. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, um, so you're the chief gardener for Experimental Station, but you also do organic landscaping and fungal sporing or mushroom sporing.
8: Yes, uh, we just started doing uh, fungal culture gardens, which is uh, just mushroom gardens around uh, Chicago, and uh, there aren't a lot of people who are super interested because perhaps they uh, don't know how delicious the mushrooms that they can grow in their own backyard. So it's it's a slow starting part of the business, but that's fine. But yeah, I'm an organic landscaper. We don't use any kind of chemicals, herbicides or pesticides uh, in the Chicago area. It's very bee-friendly gardening and we uh, are horticulture experts. We do a lot of the things that typical landscapers uh, might might not have the time for or uh, might not have the knowledge or skill set for. So we kind of fill that gap for them.
7: Okay, and so... Let's say someone's got a backyard and they've got a tree that recently went down. What could you do for them and what would the time frame be in terms of what they get?
8: So if somebody has a recently cut stump, we could come out and, and determine the species of the tree and find out if it's a good candidate for mushroom inoculation. And the way that process works is we have little wood plugs that we can actually plug right into the tree and we'll seed the tree with mushrooms like oyster mushrooms or, or maitake or any other kind of mushroom that somebody wa- might want. And if all goes well, could have mushrooms uh, growing if you inoculate in the spring by fall, or if it's a little bit later in the year, you would have mushrooms the following year. If you have a great big oak tree stump, it might take a couple years, but once it starts producing, it's gonna start producing so many mushrooms that you'll have something to trade with your neighbors. <laughs>
7: Okay, and so is it one harvest a year, and does it re itself?
8: Depending on the mushroom species, you, you may have uh, several flushes throughout the season, and a flush is just when the mushrooms grow out of the stump. Some might only uh, flush once a year, and others might flush up to maybe three or four times. We can actually bring in logs and inoculate those as well. There's also other techniques where we can inoculate wood chips, and uh, so there's yeah, a broad spectrum of mushroom species that we can plant in different methods of uh, their production.
7: Okay, and like ballpark, how much would that cost in someone's
8: backyard? We could do um, simple mushroom installations for under $200. Okay,
7: and then you'd get a few flushes that year?
8: If we get to the uh, tree trunk uh, before uh, spring season is finished, then it is a good chance that you could get some mushrooms by by fall, but mushrooms are kind of finicky, so it does require a little bit of uh, patience.
7: Okay, and so tell me about your foraging. I understand you were recently foraging in Kankakee County?
8: Yeah, I went down to Kankakee with a few friends to do some uh, foraging, and it's something that I do, I try to do at least a couple times a month. I've spent a lot of time hitting the books, uh, reading about wild plants and mushrooms that I that I can eat and use medicinally. We only found one, one interesting mushroom, uh, which is actually the uh, destroying angel mushroom, which is responsible for more mushroom poisonings than any other mushroom in the country. So it's, it's good to really know your mushrooms because there, there are things out there that can really hurt you. But uh, yeah, the fall mushroom season is right around the corner and the maitake is gonna be growing, the chicken mushrooms, the herisium mushrooms. There's gonna be a lot of really wonderful things coming up really soon.
7: Well, given the legendary secrecy of foragers, how can a newbie get into this kind of thing?
8: I'll tell you a really simple trick for mushroom hunting and uh, it's something that, that I do whenever I'm looking for some new stomping grounds I go into Google Maps and look at the satellite and zoom out of Chicago a, l- a little bit and look for those dark green patches there aren't a ton of them it's all up and down uh, the rivers you can usually find those dark green spots but you find those spots and go to those places and if you see a lot of oak trees you're probably going to be uh, uh, having some luck Okay. In those areas, yes.
7: But don't expect foragers to be sharing all their secret spots.
8: <laughs> Correct, yes. I, I hold some, some spots very, very close.
7: <laughs> okay, speaking of secrets, the last secret, I see little white butterflies frolicking oh, yes. through here, and I have come to associate them with cabbage loopers who destroy my brassicas. Mm-hmm. And last time we talked, you gave me a few ideas for, uh, for dealing with them in non-chemical ways.
8: Yes, those are called cabbage white butterflies, and uh, I believe they're from Europe. And uh, their larva looks a lot like the cabbage looper, and sometimes those terms are used uh, interchangeably. But they have these little green caterpillars that just love all brassica plants, uh, like the kales and collard greens kohlrabi broccoli, broccoli
7: yeah they, mm-hmm. they went through my broccoli leaves
8: cabbages um yeah so they're they're a, a real really difficult uh, nuisance around here so one thing that i do if you look right over here i have a paper wasp nest uh on one of the crossbars of the hoop house and i just kind of let them hang out and what they do is they fly up and down the rows of my kale and my collard green plants and just patrol them and they'll just pull a caterpillar right off those plants bring it back to the nest and devour it right there it's yeah. a really interesting to watch and uh, it saves me a lot of time just by keeping a few wasps around and they don't, they don't bother me one bit as long as you leave them alone they leave me alone I, I, uh, I've only been stung once in the last ten years and that was by a yellow jacket and those mm-hmm. Those live underground. They're a completely different species and uh, can be more of a nuisance. But paper wasps are really uh, quite docile. uh, I've actually hand-fed them, uh, those caterpillars, before.
7: (laughs) i got to see a video of that. And speaking of, you've got a super interesting Instagram. And those who want to see it should uh, follow you at Chicago Woodsman.
8: That's it, Chicago Woodsman on Instagram.
7: Well, Brendan Fox official gardener for Experimental Station and for the Jackson Park Terrace and Forager and Happy Beach Chicago Chieftain. Thank you so much for talking to me
8: today. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for coming by.
0: Thanks to Worldview contributor Monica Eng, and nice hearing from Brandon Fox and the Happy Bee Garden Service. Tomorrow on Worldview, we'll continue our series covering climate now with a live show on location from the Illinois... Uh, climate strike. It is happening in Federal Plaza. Young people are going to be there. We're going to talk with them about their goals and visions for the future. And we want to hear from you about the climate crisis. If you have some questions for the young people out there in Federal Plaza, visit wbez.org worldview and leave your question and we could, might read it on the show tomorrow. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Radio Worldview. The Field Museum's uh, Abigail Derby Lewis is going to be with us tomorrow. The Field Museum's been quite... Active in the Illinois Climate Strike, they've got their the, the lead um, speaker tomorrow is from the Field Museum, and Abigail going to be with us on the show, and she's taking over our social media accounts, and we'll be using the hashtag Climate Live, but all folks are also using the hashtag Youth Climate Strike, so look for Climate Live or Youth Climate Strike, and hopefully you can join us tomorrow for Worldview at the Illinois Climate Strike at Federal Plaza. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida and Ashish Valentine. For per, uh, Mike Gilmore is an engineer here at the radio station for the last 35 or so years. And I'm Jerome McDonald, and you've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ.